Hi, welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. I recently had an opportunity to have a conversation with our state auditor, Pat McCarthy. We covered a lot of issues, including the debacle with the Washington State Employment Security Department. Join us for this interview as we carry on right now. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I understand your time is limited, so I'll take as much of it as you'll give me and sure. uh, understand when you have to leave. Um, I appreciate your taking the time. As I explained to uh, Kathleen, what I try to do is I'm a volunteer podcaster for uh, Valley Radio, which is a low-power FM radio station working out of Carnation and Duval. We've been mm-hmm. here about two years, and we are a community radio station, which means we try to do things to help the community. And one of the things that I do, I come from a background of doing news and, and uh, interviews for Cairo and Como. And so I enjoy the interview part and I enjoy the news part. And so my contribution is to try and interview different folks. And I have, living out here in the Valley, I have a very acute um, sense of the difference between urban and rural. And from what I see oftentimes decisions are made based on urban, uh, what's good for urban, not what's good for rural. Um, And so my kind of uh, uh, dedication is to be bringing all of you decision makers and all of you people um, who hear a a great deal from the urban areas uh, and out to the community in whatever way we can so that our community also knows you and knows who you are and knows that they are part of your constituency as well. Uh, And also so that we can just share some information. So uh, I appreciate that, that you are making yourself available. Now, you may not know, but before I became the state auditor and I just was reelected for now the second term, but before that I was the Pierce County executive and and Pierce County, if you know anything about Pierce County, it's the second largest county uh, in the state of Washington, but it is very urban, rural, and suburban. I mean, we have all three characteristics. And so having served eight years, two terms um, as the Pierce County executive, I know a lot of what you're talking about with regards to um, people's perception. If you're in the suburbs, you have a certain perception and you have a certain culture, really. If you're in the rural part of the county, you had a certain perception. And it, sometimes it was real, sometimes it wasn't real. Um, and then, of course, the urban folks as well. And there was always, a, 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 I would say, a tension between all of those different groups. Who got what? How much did they get? Who's paying for more than others? And so sometimes the urban does drive because per capita and, and, and do businesses and the economy, they can drive more money and that's distributed out. Um, sometimes it gets even the rural, the smaller cities, we had uh, 15 cities within Pierce County and, and even sometimes the very smallest cities would get, you know, more per capita than really the urban. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic and I wouldn't know that much unless I had served as county executive uh, in a county that had all three characteristics. Yes, thank you for explaining that. I did know that you were um, Pierce County Executive, but I didn't realize, I guess I hadn't thought about the diversity of the populations down there. Um, One of the things that I think frustrates a lot of people is that you mentioned a different culture 
and it is a different culture. Mm-hmm. It is a very different culture. And one of my concerns is that with uh, so many people leaving the Seattle area, I think, uh, was it Pew Research just came out uh, that Seattle residents ex- are among the highest in the nation to express interest in moving outside of the city limits. And so that means they're going to be moving out to our area. And <laughs> and there's a lot of conflict with that. You know, I mean, a lot of people want growth and they equate that with a good, strong economy. Other people don't. So that's kind of an ongoing thing. Uh, it's yeah. been going on for about 40 years that I know of. Well, that well, that's true for that's true for Pierce County and King County as well, because a lot of King County residents, because of the housing, the cost of housing is so much more in King County than it is in Pierce County. We have uh, had a lot of people, especially if they wanted to have a family. So they wanna have a yard, they wanna have, you know, they want a house, you know, they don't wanna be in a big city. It, it, big cities are more conducive, I think, to some degree mm-hmm. for younger people. Um, and and maybe people maybe more at the end of their uh, lives where they can walk out the door and go, eat at a restaurant normally, you know, and all of that. But yeah. we're, we digress in talking about county We do, politics. we do. <laughs> and um, uh, I, it's fun to talk with you about this stuff because of course these are issues that affect all of us, not just urban or rural, but all of us. But let's talk more specifically about your job now yeah. um, as the state auditor. Now you've gotten a lot of press recently about the Employment Security Department. We're gonna be talking about that later. But first of all, I would like, I don't think very many of us think about the state auditor until you make the news. Can you just give us a very brief tutorial on what the Washington State Auditor's tasks are and what brought you to that position? Well, um, let's see. Um, I could talk for at length about all of this, but I will tell you that uh, Washingtonians need to feel very proud of the fact that we have um, believed as a as a state in accountability, fiscal accountability. Um, we actually had a uh, what we call uh, an auditor of public accounts even be, be, before we became a state. Um, this is a separate elected office, so I'm elected by every Washingtonian that wants to vote in an election. Um, and I'm separate from the legislative branch. I'm separate from the governor's branch, uh, and of course the judiciary. Um, so I um, basically am in charge of auditing all of the public entities within Washington State, whether you're at the local level or at the state level. And that, and we are unique in that. Probably the state that we're closest to in the book of business that we do in auditing is probably the state of Ohio. Uh, Even though I think their division is probably double ours, we have about 400 employees, uh, auditors and and such, and many others, I'll get to all the different divisions that we have, Uh, but our major book of business is auditing the public accounts. So whether you're a small little special purpose district, like a water district or a sewer district, uh, if you get public dollars, we're going to audit you. And so we audit the special purpose districts, all the cities, all the counties, all the state agencies, anyone that gets public dollars, we will audit them and we are charged with auditing them. We will do a financial audit. So we'll look at their books. We will do an accountability audit, which will look at whether they are compliant with their policies, the rules, the procedures, or and or state law. 
So we will look at those things through an accountability audit. We also do cybersecurity audits. This has been a growth business for us in the state auditor's office where we will come into a local government and at their request, um, and many, we have a waiting list right now of local governments and state agencies that want us to come in and we will look um, at their vulnerabilities as it relates to the technology they have in place for their governments. And we're all vulnerable. The private sector is vulnerable and the public sector is vulnerable when it comes to hacking and cyber hacking. Um, so we do that kind of auditing. We also do performance auditing. And this is really to take a deeper dive and look into a particular topic. Like if you go to our website, which I'm very proud of and I'll talk about, but if you go to our website, you will um, see some of these, you will you see any audit that you wanna see, but in a performance audit category, you will see some of the big topics that we've taken on. Like um, since I've been state auditor, we did one on school nutrition. Uh, we did one on school vaccinations. Uh, we've done, did one on pretrial services. I mean, we, the, the list is endless of the types of topics that we'll look at. And we're looking at efficiencies, effectiveness, uh, best practices. And all of these audits that I'm talking about, we'll, we are currently in the process of, and will have done uh, of the ESD, of the Employment Security Department. Um, so some of them we do on a regular, normal basis, but we added to the number of audits that we're doing because of the significant fraud that happened uh, at the ESD. Uh, we also do a few other things that I think most of the public doesn't know. We have a whistleblower program. Now, our whistleblower program is for people who um, are in state agencies. So you have to be a state employee, and we will take care and investigate a, a whistleblower complaint. If you were a whistleblower at the local level, you would go through that local entity. So if it was a city or the county um, then you would go through that system and then work with that sheriff or prosecutor, depending on what it was that you were, the, your whistleblower complaint was about. We also do fraud investigations uh, and those frauds that would happen in a governmental entity. And unfortunately, uh, not 2020, we have our own other issues in 2020, but in 2019, we had some pretty significant big frauds that happened in Washington state. We had one in my county, um, that I hail from Pierce County of a housing authority where the finance director had um, stolen $7 million. Um, yeah, so we've had some big ones like that. We had one down in Clark County, so down in Southwest Washington. We had one in Spokane County, which was over a million dollars. Many times those internal, those frauds are, are found by um, people uh, within um, the organization itself. Somebody sees something and they, they have a concern and then one thing leads to another and that fraud is you know, um, reported and then those come to us. And so we do fraud. So we have investigators, we have um, PhDs that do the uh, research that you have with regards to performance auditing um, that have a different skill set. We have cyber technology people. Um, so we have different types of people that work. We're not all just financial auditors. Uh, we have some, uh, many of our 400 employees um, that are um, auditors, 
um, have a CPA, but you don't have to have a CPA to do government auditing um, in Washington state. So, um, but we, we encourage and reward and we support those that within the system um, in the auditor's office that want to pursue getting a CPA um, a license. And some have other licenses. We have an investigative process for investigators to get licensed uh, certificated um, certificates in those kind of categories as well. So anyways, that gives you kind of a flavor. We do, in Washington state, we have 2,300 different governmental types. Everything from a mosquito district to a county, to a city, to state agencies, we do it all. Um, we are the auditor for the state. We have the largest audit shop in the state of Washington, um, and, and we do all that work. Um, our goal, my goal, has been uh, to increase trust in government, to increase the public's trust in government, because quite frankly, we do more good in government than we don't. Um, we, but our goal and our fidelity is to the public at large. So we need how you increase trust in government is by sharing information. And so we set about when I first was elected, uh, well, now I guess almost five years ago, um, uh, we set about uh, revamping our website. We had a plethora of information on our website, but it was the most difficult uh, website to find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So we spent a year really working and with a company to update our website. It's more modern. It's user friendly. It by a by a finger touch. I'm impatient. I want to I want to have it be intuitive <laughs> so that I don't have to know what I'm looking for. I can get of a word and I can it can help me find that place just like you do with any search engine. So I, I'm really proud of our website. We continue uh, to really refine it, improve it, um, and we get a lot of good feedback about how user-friendly it is to find information. So you can find out, you can put in your address and it will give, it will populate if you wanna see who are all the people that I pay money to, a governmental entity I pay money. Who's, I, I may know my county, I may know my city, but I may not know my library district and what the boundaries are of my library district, or do I pay into that? You know, Those kinds of things are good for the general public to know. And once you know those, and then you can drill down and actually see their financials, then you've got a plethora of information and that increases your trust in the governments that serve you. I mean, that's our responsibility. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's our responsibility is to be able to um, provide that transparency and that accountability. And, 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 and really government does, like I say, we do more good in government than we don't. Are there some outliers and do things happen? You bet. That happens in the private sector as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's our job uh, uh, to be that set of eyes, that independent objective set of eyes that goes in and looks at a governmental entity, mm -hmm. no matter how small you are or how big you are. You said that your loyalty was to the public, but who's who are you accountable to? The governor? No, the no. public. The public. Oh, okay. All right. So just like just like the governor is uh, accountable to the public at large. Okay. So just like the governor. So we have seven statewide elected officials, and I'm one of the seven. Mm -hmm. so, our treasurer is one, and uh, you know, and that I'm, that's on your website. I found <laughs> that on a link. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I was surprised that there were just seven. Um, it was, so it's, it, it is, I went, I spent a lot of time on your website and, you know, hit some links and learned some things I didn't know. So I, I agree with you. I think it's a very user-friendly website and yeah. very informative. So uh, that's, that's good. I'm glad you did. And, and, and if you, we, we, incur, we also have a hotline. I should, it's important for your listeners to know that if you had a concern, let's say I have a concern about my sewer district or my library district or my school district or my city or my county, um, you can send a hotline to us. We will do, um, we'll, we'll make a, a determination. We have a team. I'm not on that team, but we have an internal team that will look at um, and do an investigation if it's warranted. If it's something that isn't something we could actually opine on or provide information on, then we would send you to the appropriate entity. You might need to use the AG's office or the state departments. If it's a state agency, you might need to use the personnel system. It might be a personnel issue. It could be any number of things. But if it's a true and a concern that's been raised, we will look into it. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, and that being said, <coughs> let's tackle Employment Security Department. Um, it's been in the news a lot. Uh, there's been a lot of outrage. I have a personal story about them that I'd be love. I'd love to bend your ear about. Um, but one of the things that has distressed me about that is the lack of accountability until your office got there. You know, um, I, it, it appeared that way to me that you know who's. Who, you can argue whether or not it was done correctly or not, but in almost every debacle that I remember in the public sector, if something of this magnitude happened, you know, the fraud, et cetera, somebody's head rolled. Now it might've been a poor sucker who got nailed, you know, who didn't deserve it, but somebody's head rolled. Nobody's head has rolled on this. And, and so I think that the people I know, you know, are kind of like looking at your report as like, okay, this will tell us what actually went on and, and will provide some sort of explanation and or accountability uh, for that huge mistake that occurred. Yeah. Our, um, our, uh, we, we do audit the Employment Security Department every year. Mm-hmm. And of course, when, you, when I say we audit, even if it's a city or town, it's important for your listeners to know that we can't audit every single thing within that entity. Um, we can, we'll do a scope. So we'll say, we're going to look at this and we're going to look at that and we're going to look at this. And it may mean um, that we're not going to look at this or that and this. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we have to limit and have a a scope uh, for what we're going to look at. But we have audited uh, the ESD every year and there have been issues in the past, just like with any large state agency. And this is a large state agency that's under the purview of the governor. Um, But uh, with the ESD, um, we have to at least recognize, and I think everyone understands, that they had a tsunami of unemployment claims that came to the Employment Security Department. I mean, a tsunami. And and that is in great part because uh, the federal government had provided a large sum of money uh, and encouraged these states and Washington state wasn't alone here, but encouraged the states or incentivized them to get that money out quick. Well, when they get that money out quick, they some of those internal controls um, are lowered so that they can get the money out quick. So the verification process um, changed between what it was in 2019 
and what it became in 2020 when, um, when we had the pandemic hit. So I think it's fair to say that. I think what I hope and what I envision is that these audits, and there's a series of them, we just completed one and we had a report that came out on the first one uh, that did show some issues. Uh, we will have another one that will be coming out uh, sometime, uh, you know, the timelines have changed, but I think sometime either at the end of this month or the, in, in February, which will be an accountability audit, which will show other things, and that will build on these different audits. We're doing a systems audit. We're also doing a performance audit, um, and we're doing a single audit of the state of the ESD. So we are auditing them a lot. Um, and each one of these will, are, if you think of it like building blocks, one will provide more information that will inform the next audit or be a part of that next audit, or one will be able to pick up what that audit didn't do, this audit will be able to um, uh, pick up and look at. The performance audit will be the final uh, kind of piece de resistance, which will really look at the whole system and see you know, what did happen and what can we make sure doesn't happen again? Um, you know, we, I, I don't think in my life, well, I know in my lifetime, God willing, um, it, we won't have another pandemic, but we may have a major flood or we may have a major earthquake and we may have, it may cause our economy to be held in check. It may, you know, people may be unemployed. We could have a whole series of things that happen. So we need to be informative so that if this, whatever happens again in Washington state, that we know we can't find ourselves in a position where bad actors from, you know, um, I think it was a, uh, a fraudster out of Lagos, Nigeria, you know, I can't remember what they were called, the canary something. Um, but anyways, uh, th that maybe a door was open that they could get in and then um, uh, do the fraudulent activity that they did. So if there's things that we can find that say, these are some red flags that should have been, you know, highlighted for you to know that there might be a problem out there. Um, and then of course, the issue of the communication, how, how were people communicated uh, about what they, what they were getting, uh, what they owed back. Uh, there's a lot of confusion. Uh, we hear a lot of it in the state auditor's office from citizens just like you that may have been impacted by this um, by this um, fraud and the uh, unemployment claims uh, and the confusion around that. So hopefully these audits will also, uh, not not hopefully, I am confident that they will opine to some degree and it might require a couple uh, performance audits um, because in the performance audit what you do is you do a deeper dive you actually get into the you know on the on the ground you do with the other audits but they're more from a financial they're looking at the financial records more or they're looking at the systems that they have in place so anyways i don't know if that's Yes. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Um, and clearly this first uh, um, audit that you did was the financial. Um, and I'm looking at an article from Puget Sound Business Journal um, that talks about the elimination of the waiting week, which has that was not anything ESD had control over that they were mandated to do that. 
Um, but then there was also a, some sort of a process uh, that hadn't been working for much of the year, according to the report. Um, that is more concerning to me. And so um, during the performance audit, would you be looking more into that issue? What, what happened with that? that, mm -hmm. that it will look at, and it will look at the fraud and what, what were maybe the things that, you know, um, uh, that attributed or cont contributed, not attributed, contributed to the um, uh, ability for uh, the, this large fraudulent activity to occur. Yeah. Now, the other thing that was reported in, in that report, and I confess I have not read your, your report, um, but the other thing that was reported is that the uh, ESD reported different numbers um, than what actually happened. How do you explain that? Well, what? that those are things we will find in the in the follow up audits that we will be doing the the what we call they have acronyms. So we just finished what we call the CAFR, which is the state's financial report. And the ESD is a part of that, mm -hmm. um, as are the other agencies. And that kind of comes into the, the kind of all accrues and goes up to the Office of Financial Management, which many states have a comptroller. That's the role that that person plays that works for the governor. Um, so we finished that report. And that was the information that you may have read about. And you can go to our website. You should be able to find out the CAFR is what we completed. Then uh, we, we're going to do a report that's a single wide um, state uh, report just on the ESD, and that will show the federal, um, the federal dollars that came in. And we may be able to be able to look at how much was state, how much was federal dollars that uh, were uh, lost in this um, in this. Uh, in this fraudulent activity. We know the state had recovered about 250 million um, as of that time at the end of June. Um, uh, we know that approximately the known or sus sus uh, suspected loss was about 600 million and they have recovered about 250 million. Um, and that resulted in of course, a net loss of about 350.9 million for the fiscal year of 2020. And remember a fiscal year goes from um, June to July of the next year. It's not January to December. So that was of June 30th. It's, it's a snapshot in time. Um, and it, it that figure covered more than 122,000 known or suspected fraudulent claims for the 2020 fiscal year. And were um, all of those part of the same um, event or were they did you find other ones that were well I think there I think these audits will uncover if there were other events that may have happened and been triggered triggered with that that's what the auditors will look at I've got five teams working five separate teams two different state teams um, and um, three from the performance audit division so there, I we've it's a, a real interdisciplinary uh, effort to um, really look at do 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 due diligence for this. I mean, this was a significant, a large fraudulent um, event that happened. Yeah. Well, and um, again, the same uh, Puget Sound Business Journal article, I wanted to ask you about this because they said that um, the state auditor, in, in referring to this first report that you put out, um, they, they said that uh, the state auditor issued a rare finding against the state itself. Is it that rare? Um, yes, 
um, we we normally don't have a finding of the state itself, but we felt that when the Office of Financial Management did report, do the final report, because like I said, this was the state's re final report, we play a role in that. Um, they did not, because they believed that most of the money or all of the money were federal dollars that the federal government said they didn't have to repay. Um, we felt that because of the significance of the size, it still should have been reported and been pulled out and been highlighted in that. So it really is a, it's a, it's a way in which we would demonstrate in your financial report what happened. And we felt that we, and, this, and the Office of Financial Management did not agree with that assertion that we had, but, and that's fine. I mean, we can agree to disagree. We just felt that because of the size of it, that it's significant enough that it should have been pulled out and at least identified in that way. So it was more of an identification of it. Okay. And, um, and forgive my ignorance here, but um, you were talking about a large percentage of those uh, fraudulently um, um, received funds were federal dollars. We don't know. The state believes that that the majority of it is um, our federal dollars, if not all of it. I don't we don't know that yet until we complete this report, which will be coming out probably in mid-March. Okay. That's this interesting to me because they're talking about uh, and, and small businesses are already reporting their um, unemployment insurance premiums have been jacked up as much as I've heard 200 percent. Well, it's going to be even higher. Um, but if they were federal dollars, uh, why would that impact that were lost? Why would that impact the um, premiums that are ha that have to be paid to the, for for state funds? You know, I don't know that answer. Okay, I can't. I can't answer that. Um, I I'd have to have an auditor give you exactly what may have transpired for those particular entities. Um, okay. Well, that's just something that came to my mind. It's like, you know, because, you know, they were saying, well, we lost so many state, so much state funding. We lost so much, so many state dollars. Are these, are these in the private sector or the public sector? The private, well, the, the private businesses have to pay their unemployment insurance premiums. Yeah. And those are what the governor and, and we have been told for several months would be going sky high because of all the money that unemployment spent. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this year in, or in 2020. So if uh, I, I just, I, I can appreciate you, you don't have the answer to this, but it just crosses my mind if that, if so, if the bulk of that lost money was federal, then it really didn't come out of the dollars that are. Um, the well, the state also contributed money to the unemployment and does contribute money to the employment. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll department. Yeah, but it's a, and that's the thing about I think for for those of us people out here um, listening to the, there are so many questions we have, but there are so many rules, so many procedures, so many um, uh, things that we don't know about, we don't have access to. Well, you know, those are good questions. We have the hotline for a purpose. So mm -hmm. if you had a question that got into a technical mm -hmm. uh, question, my premiums are going. Why are my premiums going up? Da 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 da. Um, that's a good. That's a. That's an something that we potentially can answer, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, reach out to our hotline. If we can't answer it, we, you know, we'll let you know that as well. 
So we, we don't just leave you hanging. Um, but um, I think that those are kinds of questions. I mean, there are sometimes we can answer. We had a lot of people that said, can you help me? I, I need to get my unemployment check. And we, we couldn't help there. Yeah. Um, you know, we're post auditors. So we're really looking after the fact of what uh, transpires. But in things that people might have questions, why would my premium go, you know, those kind of things we possibly could answer. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. Um, in terms of accountability, what what is the result uh, when you finish all three or four of these audits and you have a final product, presumably somewhere around the end of this year, what does that then mean? What will happen because of that report? Well, it could be legislation, um, legislation to um, ensure that something doesn't you know, that there's a law or a rule or a policy or a procedure that's put in place um, that can't be changed unless you, you know, um, um, unless the legislature wants to change it. Now, I will say that in the pandemic, the governor had the ability, um, because we had a declaration of emergency um, that he uh, was operating under, it was to, um, to pass certain proclamations that allowed us to, uh, when I say us, anyone in government um, that maybe had statutory deadlines. Um, I know that we had local governments concerned about trying to meet statutory deadlines um, uh, and that couldn't because all of a sudden they had to have everybody telework and they, you know, operations for a school wasn't happening like it normally does. and. Um, so we were able to get an extension, um, but then the governor has to work with what they call the four corners so that it's the House and the Senate, it's the Republican and the Democrats, it's the minority and the uh, majority, and they come together and they either agree or disagree with the governor. So in, in adjusting or giving some exemptions, um, even if it's a temporary exemption for like a two-week exemption or a month exemption um, to or extension, I mean, so, so that did, those are things that have happened uh, as a result of this pandemic. So the pandemic really put the entire state, both in the private sector and the public sector in um, some challenges. And I can speak about our office and what we did. First of all, like I said, we have 420 or so employees in the state auditor's office. We are not all located in Olympia. We have 15 offices across the state of Washington, and um, we have an office of 20 in Spokane and um, Southwest Washington in Clark County down in Vancouver. We have um, three offices in King County, uh, one in the East King County, Bellevue area, one in South King County, and one in Central King County, which is the city in the city proper. Um, we have one in Mill Creek, um, in Everett, um, that probably either the Everett or our Bellingham office may do the audits in your community. I think it would be Bellingham uh, with Skagit or, or, um, or um, uh, Duval, pretty country. So anyways, but we have people sprinkled across the state of Washington and we were able with the, um, um, with the, um, uh, before the governor even required that uh, all state agencies uh, were told to um, telework, 
we were able to do it a week before that. So all 400 employees were able to have be deployed with their equipment uh, so that they could work from home. And we've been successful in being able to do that and continuing to do the work of the state auditor's office. Now more than ever, people have very high expectations of um, accountability. So how are you, how are you, how are you how are you dealing with this money? It's kind of a cross currents that I would argue and I would submit that government has had to deal with. On the one hand, they've had reduction, you know, the economy falls for everyone, government and the private sector. So how do they how do they deal with those reductions? At the same time, they've had this tsunami of money that's come in, and it might be um, identified that it has to be spent on certain things. You can't just go, do something else with the money if the money has, you know, requirements of what it can be spent on. So, um, anyways, I'm I'm rambling probably, but but I would the point is that we were able to continue to do our work, and we're going to continue to do our work because it's in the public's interest. Okay, um, I wanted to get back a little bit because I'm not quite sure um, of the result. What happens uh, after you issue your report? And you said one of the possible, one of the potential things that could happen would be the legislature would say, "Gee, we need a new rule. We need a new law." What are some of the other um, things that could happen as a result? Normally, of you know, most entity, whether they're local governments or state agency. Uh, and if they have the capacity to do it, sometimes state agencies say, we don't have the resources to do what you're recommending, but we will give best practices. We will say, we've not only looked at your operation, but we've looked at similar operations across the country and some of the best practices that have been put in place and they would want to adopt them. Now I'll give you the example of the performance audit we did on school nutrition. Um, five years ago, when I was first elected, uh, the superintendent of public instruction, uh, Chris Reichdahl, had come to me and he said, I'm really concerned about childhood obesity. And we spend millions, millions of dollars on school nutrition, school program, food programs. And I'm concerned about waste and I'm concerned about obesity. So we did a deep dive and we gave them several ways we could look at this, so different options. And so we worked with this uh, superintendent of public instruction to come up with, let's look at recess, seat time, and let's look at the waste. And so we had our auditors, they went out to different schools, rural schools, suburban schools, urban schools, uh, east side of the state, west side of the state, north and south. So we did a, a cross section of, of schools looking at their programs and, and at the end of the day, you said, what happens? The superintendent came back, the head, the Washington State PTA said, this is our number one um, goal. And then of course the pandemic hit, but was to um, have schools have recess before lunch so that when kids sit down to eat, um, which most school districts, we have 295 school districts, plus uh, those that are charter schools and uh, Indian schools um, uh, that, that we also review, but um, they would have um, recess after lunch. So kids sit down and then they, they don't even wanna eat their lunch. So they, they, they eat the chicken nuggets, but they throw away the carrots and the celery, right? Yeah. And so, so they're, therein lies what the waste is. And then, um, then they don't get that full 20 minutes that they need to be sitting down to eat so that they really do nourish their bodies. And then, you know, so anyways, 
we did a report and and so the stakeholders involved in that discussion whether they were local school districts or the superintendent of public instruction can take those ideas and those best practices and put them in play and i think that's what they all agreed to do and of course then the pandemic hit and then we have no schools now everybody's we've got <laughs> we've got uh, schools and everybody's home so you know it's yeah. it's uh it kind of threw everything up in the air with regards to that, but it can be the stakeholders of that particular topic. Uh, we did one on school vaccinations and that's a hot topic because some people don't believe in vaccine, vaccinating children. Uh, some people do. Um, and so there was a whole host. There was legislation that was changed uh, because of the big vaccination or the big outbreak of measles down in Clark County. And that kind of drove us to want to do a report that shows, you know, what what do we know? What do we know in the system? So that gave all of the stakeholders, whether it was the Department of Health, whether it was local school districts, or whether it was the schools themselves, to know where are the problems of why we don't have that information when we should. Mm -hmm. So yeah. anyways. Very interesting. Um, so when you finish uh, a report, does it go directly to the governor with a copy to the agency or where, where did, what's the, the procedure for issuing your report? Depending on what the report is, if it's a financial report, of course, uh, we have a process in place where we do an entrance conference and an exit conference. Um, and, and some of those conferences that we do are held at a public meeting. Um, we will post it on our website. Um, so it gets posted. Uh, if it's a state agency, um, we will all do the same thing with the state agency that we've done the re financial report on. They will, and they have an opportunity to read the report and give a comment in our report. They may disagree. They may agree. They may say, we, we've already implemented most of these things. Uh, we actually have uh, something on our website. If you, so if you go out to our website, you can see uh, one of the programs that we have is called Tracker, and that tracks when you've gotten a finding from us um, and where you're at, where the, the client is at, so the governmental entity is at, in reconciling that finding. A finding is the worst thing we can do. Uh, we don't, we, uh, we examine, we investigate, um, and we illuminate, but we don't incarcerate or we don't litigate. <laughs> I That's, bet you wish you could sometimes, though. <laughs> well, that that actually, uh, we're fine with sending that if it's at the state level, it goes to the attorney general's office. If it's at the local level, it goes to the prosecuting attorney's office. So um, they're the law uh, makers. And then if it's if there's fraudulent activity, of course, it goes either to the sheriff's department or the city police department, if it's a city, um, if it's a, a state agency, it goes to um, the state patrol and um, it goes to the attorney general's office and then they take it from there. Yeah. Do you, uh, I'm thinking of your workload, is it pretty, I mean, of course, everybody has more to do than the work never ends, but sometimes it's worse than others. How is your workload per person, per working person? Do you have a backlog? Do you have, are you able to keep pretty much up with it or? Well, we do and we don't. I mean, we, we're just in this unprecedented time right now with the pandemic. Um, and you know, we have guidelines and we have standards and we have a whole host of things that we we need to follow. Um, but of course, things coming out of the federal government have been slow as well because it's impacted the entire country. Um, and um, 
especially when con Congress passes money and that may not have all the sideboards that it normally does have. Um, back when, um, during the Obama administration, you might've remembered that, and I was a, uh, a county executive, uh, we had ARA funds, the um, uh, recovery funds for transportation projects or road projects or housing issues. And um, that money came and it came with really clear sideboards. You could only do it on a shovel ready project, right? You couldn't do it on some existing Thing that wasn't shovel ready and ready to go. Um, there was other criteria there. Uh, this money that's come with the CARES Act and with um, uh, these other federal dollars um, that have acronyms as well, and we may get more federal dollars, um, hasn't always come with clear guidelines. And so the accountability people like us in Washington State and the State Auditor's Office or in the state of Ohio or Louisiana or New York or whatever, we have been meeting on a regular basis. I belong to uh, the National Association of State Auditors and the National Association of State Auditors, Comptrollers and Treasurers. These are all the accountability folks across the country. And so we've been meeting on a regular basis. We have work groups, uh, some of them that look at unemployment insurance um, because we weren't the only state that was hit. We, I think we're one of the first states that were hit with a fraudulent activity, but we weren't the only state. Um, uh, uh, higher ed, um, issues relative to higher ed. I mean, and then, it, so it might be topic driven or it might just be just the, 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 the sheer act of auditing and doing financial uh, records um, might be really zeroed in on that. Um, might deal with technology, it could deal with a whole host of things. So anyways, um, uh, th those have been really good because we can learn from our colleagues across the country as well, and they can learn from us as well. So I have a number of my staff that participate in those, and they're all virtual conversations. We're not, nobody flies anymore. <laughs> Nobody's, we have not had one meeting or one conference in person uh, since last March. Um, it's all been done virtually yeah. on a whole bunch of different platforms. We're on Zoom now, um, but we've been Skype for Business, Teammate, a whole a whole group of different um, groups or platforms. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I've learned a lot from talking with you, and uh, I look forward to paying a little bit more attention to what the auditor's office does. And uh, hopefully... And good. And, 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 and have your people you know, go to our website. If they have questions, they can submit questions that they may have. Um, I did want to send you, where is it? Um, what is your email? Because I wanted to send you our annual report that I think if you could give the link to your people, they could look at our annual report, they can look at our budget, they can look at kind of the work that we've done. Our last annual report we just put out in December. Heather.stark at valley1049.org. I'm going to repeat it. Heather.stark at valley, and that's lowercase with an E, V-A-L-L-E-Y 1049.org. Correct. Okay. Correct. We are, so I'm gonna, we're FM 104.9. 104.9. <laughs> yeah. But there's no oh, 104. Point. Is there? Oh, a, it's just 1049. Okay. Uh, in the website, in the, in the email. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm sending that to you. It, it's interactive, which I think is fun. Um, and I've got a little teeny communications department, like 
six people, but they are so talented and they all have a certain expertise. So, um, and plus we do blog posts as well. So we've gotten into the whole social media thing so that because people learn in different ways, I still get the newspaper at home. My husband and I get two newspapers every day. Um, but, um, I think I'm, we're part of the last of the Mohicans. That are yes. getting actual Unfortunately. Tea. Yes. I think you're right. During yeah. my, my, um, undergraduate degree is journalism and boy what's happened in the last 20 years of journalism is just a a shocker to me it's a it's a heartbreak in some respects Um, yeah well and to just give props to Kathleen who was my contact with your office with your communications people and really spot on I'll be honest with you sometimes I call around or I put a contact out to see if I can get somebody to talk with me for an interview. And as soon as the person I talked to on the phone says, well, I'll send you to our communications manager or our PR person or, and I think, no, no, don't send me there because yeah. there's just not a rapid turnaround anymore. Nobody sees it as a priority. I, you know, oh, Kathleen's, Kathleen's the Kathleen, director. Yeah. Oh. She's the director. She's she, I call her hair on fire. She is fabulous. And she yeah. is a former journalist as well. So, so she understands the immediacy, immediacy that's needed, mm-hmm. you know, so she, she was, a she was great. And um, um, I give her props. Um, well, thank you for talking with us. I, I really have learned a lot. I have learned um, uh, a lot more about what your office does. And uh, one, one question that I want to close with is what's your biggest challenge as a state auditor? I think really, and I've been on a mission, um, (laughs) short of using the word proselytize, but I am on a mission to explain the role of the state auditor's office, because I think you're right. I think most people, well, you know, you ask a person on the street, they may say, well, I think you audit because auditor's in it, but I don't really know what that means Um, and the value of it. So that's always my biggest challenge is to make sure people understand that this is we're lucky in Washington state that we have this outside independent set of eyes that looks at every single public dollar that goes out of your pockets into a governmental entity, whether it's at the local level or at the state level to make sure that they're spending that money as you expect them to be spending it and doing it in your interests. And, and like I said, government does more good than it doesn't. And um, you know, and we're in there a lot. We're auditing a lot. The bigger you are, the more frequent. It might be every year. I mean, King County is audited multiple ways and multiple times a year. And but if you're a, if you're a mosquito district, you might do. We might be on a schedule of every three years, unless you have fraud. Then we're going to come back. On a <laughs> and you mentioned the whistleblowers. If somebody uh, has a whistle to blow, how do they get in touch with your office? Um, you go online. Um, it has a it has a way you can link up, and I think you can actually do it. So go on to our website, and that'll give you directions on what you need to do. But you have to be a state employee for us to be able to do that investigation. Otherwise, we will send you to if it was a whistleblower for a local school district or you know other any other public entity. Uh, but if it's a state entity, um, state employee, you are more than welcome to. Be able to go on our website and Great. do a whistleblower, Great. and we will protect their identity. That is um, ingrained in law, and we made sure we had legislation changed because there was a window of time where that whistleblower could be found. But um, that's the whole 
yeah. point of protecting the um, right. identity of the whistleblower as well. Do you ever get um, uh, whistleblowing complaints where you kind of go, eh, no, this is well, we do. We have an, an internal. We have an inter, uh, an attorney that works in our office. Um, our director of legal affairs, but we also work with the AG's office. So if it's something that really is out of our purview, uh, sometimes it's just a it's a whistle, it's a whistleblower complaint, but it's really more of a personnel issue mm-hmm. uh, that we will send them to whatever that personnel department. You know, at the state, we have a uh, department of personnel that they can they will follow up with an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's something out of our purview, uh, we have lawyers that let us know that really this isn't something that you have yeah. the authority to look at. Yeah, because there's a difference between, you know, what I perceive as just and right and what's right. the law and requiring yeah. that kind of thing. So yeah, and we, and we all make those interpretations. Um, and I lied. I said that was my last question, but it's not. <laughs> what's your, what one characteristic about you is of most benefit in this role? Well, you know, I'm not an auditor by profession. Um, so um, I think what this office needed, my predecessor had been indicted, not for what he had done in the state auditor's office, but for other transgressions, I should say. And I really wanted, uh, and he was from my county, Pierce County. And I, I really wanted, I did not, I, I was term limited, so I, I wasn't ready to retire. And so I really felt compelled that I believe in government and I believe that we need to hold government accountable. I felt I was accountable uh, and um, and I was encouraged to run for this position, but I really think it's important um, uh, for me uh, to be a good manager. I, I That's something I do well. Uh, in, in Pierce County, we have 3000 employees, multiple electeds um, that um, separate electeds, um, a number of people in different divisions that reported to me. Um, and I, I think I managed them pretty well. And so I think the skill set of being a good manager, especially when you have a decentralized operation, uh, and, and at that point, a pretty demoralized operation, uh, when I first walked in the door. So, you know, having a, you know, we can do this and uh, this is this is what we provide and kind of not only being the cheerleader, but organizing it, uh, looking at ways in which we can better communicate, a whole host of things that I've learned over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the school board. I've been elected. I was the county auditor during the Bush v. Gore. I was a deputy auditor during the Bush v. Gore election and then of course the county auditor during the Gregoire Rossi election. So I've been boots on the ground of running a, a pretty large you know operation um, in in Pierce County and in multiple capacities. So you know I, I feel I had a good grounding for understanding government and um, you know it's always easier you can say no you can do this. I came out of local government. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> you can't get away with saying, no, we can't do this. Yes, you can. <laughs> I like that attitude. Yeah. Pat McCarthy, thank you very much, our Washington State Auditor, for sharing what your office does, sharing some of the reporting that you do. I learned a lot. I, I think the listeners did too. And I'm going to be paying a lot more attention to your website because I learned a lot from that as well. Great. So, Thank you. Thank you. For My pleasure. Us. Please come back and let us talk <laughs> sure. with you. Maybe after the next uh, unemployment report comes out. Um, <laughs> okay, sure. Everybody is so interested in that. 
You um, bet. And I'll be interested to see what happens with that performance um, audit as well. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for listening to Valley Talk on Valley 104.9 FM. See you next time. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Valley talk and info. Extinction Diaries. The Gobi Bear is the only bear in the world that lives exclusively in a desert. The Gobi is also the world's rarest bear and critically endangered. There are less than 40 in the wild and none known to exist in captivity. The Mongolian government is dedicating funds and territory protection to stop the extinction in one of the world's most inhospitable environments. Giant sand dunes, ice canyons, raging wind, cold and heat are all characteristics of the Gobi Bear's home and it is human activity again driving the race to extinction. International mining operations are polluting the desert while extracting coal, copper and gold from the region. And seasonal grasslands, vital to all wildlife, is being destroyed by overgrazing domesticated livestock. Gobi bears travel great distances from oasis to oasis, and because humans, including poachers and illegal miners, depend on the same oasis water supplies, the outcome for the bears is often tragic. In 2014, the Gobi's numbers fell to under 30 and have since risen. There is hope. They need more love. My name is Rising Moon, and this is a Small World Radio production. Welcome to Happy News. I'm Daisy Oz. In these next two shows, I'll be presenting ways to prevent loneliness. In this time of quarantine, we can feel lonely. We thrive in community connections and giving and receiving love. Dr. Emma Sapala conducted a survey with Stanford students. When she asked what single activity brought them the greatest fulfillment, the most common answer was spending time with friends and loved ones. And I'm sure we can all relate. And brain image studies show that feeling ostracized actually activates our neural pain matrix. In fact, several studies show that ostracizing others hurts as much as being ostracized ourselves. Emma gives some helpful tools to build resilience when the pain of loneliness takes hold. First, embrace your emotions 100%. Most of us have learned to distract ourselves the very moment that we feel an uncomfortable emotion, such as loneliness. As explained by Harvard's Dan Wegner, when we try to resist something, it tends to persist all the more. Distracting ourselves from a core problem does not get to its root. On the other hand, children get over negative emotions extremely quickly and are able to move on to the next thing as if nothing happened. Adults can carry them around for years. Allowing the emotion to arise and giving it our full attention may be a key to letting it go. The next is engage in mindful meditation. Simply be with the sensations, thoughts, and emotions that arise without trying to control or change them. Researchers found that being present with what is happening, no matter how unpleasant that experience, is always better than not being present. And then serving others is important. Research shows that compassion and service can be of tremendous benefit. Often, when we feel down or alone, our vision and universe become narrow. Helping others can immediately change our perspective and re-energize us, which is why compassion has been linked to well-being. As Mahatma Gandhi said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in service of others. And connect with nature. I cover nature's power to heal in a former Happy News episode called Why Nature is So Good for Your Mental Health. 
And in my next show, I'll continue on this relevant subject with falling in love with yourself to reverse loneliness. How about a happy quote on this soliloquous subject? A season of loneliness and isolation is when the caterpillar gets its wings. Remember that the next time you feel alone. Mandy Hale. I'm Daisy Oz. Thanks for listening. And I want you to be happy. Check out my archive shows and more at daisyoz.com. Happy News is produced at Daisy Oz Productions in Chewila, Washington. My theme music was provided by John Bartman.